Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. I think I've told you a little bit about growing up in church, but I grew up, uh, my early years of church were my elementary years. I was in children's church a lot, but when I got to my teen years, I had moved to the south and grew up right in the buckle of the belt, Bible belt with old school bucking and snorting kind of preachers. Anybody know anything about those kind of preachers? All right. I don't know if you know about those kind of preachers in the Northwest or not. Uh, until you came to Radius, anyway. <laughs> you see, nobody's on the front row, because I spit. No, uh, anyway. Um, and, and so, but I grew up in, in, in church uh, that was very experientially driven. And that can be good, and that can also be bad. And, and I grew up in church, and some of you are used to this. I grew up in the day where you went to church on Sunday. Well, first of all, you started the morning on Sunday going to Sunday school. Anybody remember that? And then after Sunday school, you went to church. And then, then when the preacher decided he was done, there was no clocks in the church I grew up in. I mean, at least I lie to you and tell you I'm going to follow a clock. I don't, but at least there's a clock in the room, right? We didn't even have a clock. I don't even think my pastor knew how to tell time. So, and he closed like at least 15 times. You only get two or three from me, okay? And, and so he would close, and we would break, and we'd all go have lunch. And then we come back for Sunday night church. Anybody had Sunday night church? Yeah, we had, because the real spiritual people had Sunday night church. And, and then, as if that wasn't enough, then we would come back for Wednesday night Bible study. Anybody remember those? And, uh, okay, all right, that's good. I, I know who I'm talking to. And, and in my church, the, the, the Wednesday nights were kind of unique because Wednesday nights, they could go all kind of different directions, but Wednesday nights were extremely, like, participatory. Like, it, it was a contact sport. Everybody in the room, it was kind of expected you were going to say something. You were either going to give a praise, you were going to give a praise report, you were going to give a prayer request, uh, you, you were going to shout out what song in the hymnal you wanted to sing, okay, that kind of thing. And, and so it always started off with, uh, a testimony service. Anybody remember those? Just trying to see who I'm talking to. And, and in the South, at least in the church I was in, when you got up to give your testimony, the first sentence out of your mouth was, well, I'd like to shame the devil, and then they'd tell their testimony. I kind of like that, huh? A- anybody ever done that? Come on, say it with me. Shame the devil. Shame the devil. Woo, I kind of like that. Well, first of all, I want to get up and shame the devil, and, and then they'd go into their testimony. And and, and then, of course, we would end church service all the time. We had these things that some this generation doesn't know a lot about, but we had these things called altars. And every time the preacher got done preaching, we, were, we, we responded in some kind of way because it wasn't about just coming to get information. It was coming to experience something and respond to what God was saying. And, and we don't have that so much anymore, and, but I'm, I'm still concerned because regardless if we have a physical altar or not, we ought to have an altar in our heart where we're still coming to church prepared to respond to God. Not respond to the preacher, not thumbs him up or down or that was okay or it wasn't okay, but, but, but it wasn't just about knowing God's will it was about experiencing God's presence. And I can tell you all kinds of things about knowing His will. 
But as a pastor, I want you to, I want you to know him in a way that you experience his presence. And when you can experience his presence and understand his will, oh, wow, come on, everybody. When you can get information and revelation, boy, that's the cake with the icing on it too, right, everybody? In other words, let me say it this way. Some things are still better caught than taught. I can teach you these things, and I'm going to finish teaching them tonight, but I want you to catch the presence of God. So in this final uh, part of this series, we've been working on that whole thing is knowing God's will. And, and, and have you ever noticed that oftentimes God wants to give us his will, but has anybody else ever experienced where sometimes it's like he leaves it a little fuzzy? Anybody? It's like, and, and he knows what he's doing, right? And, and, and I want us to experience God's will, but... But here's something that I want you to consider. I think that spiritual maturity means that we don't have to really dive in every, every issue we go through and, God, what's your will? Because I think, I, I think there's a level of spiritual maturity that he wants us to get to and we grow to that we know how to make healthy decisions because we've been maturing in the Lord. Does that make sense? My son, my oldest, my son is 30, and, and he, ha, he is a father now. And one of the things that's interesting, he never calls me anymore and asks if he can have a cookie before bed. <laughs> he doesn't call me and say, hey, Dad, can I stay up late? He doesn't call and say, hey. He might call and say, hey, Dad, can I have my allowance? But that's another issue, right? No, no, he, he doesn't call anymore and ask those questions. Watch this, that he used to ask when he was three. And he used to ask when he was five. And he used to ask when he got, first got his driver's license. Come on, everybody, right? Because there's this, there's this time, there's this season where we mature, where we've built a foundation under us, where some things, some things are autopilot. We should know by now, this is not the will of God. This is not the voice of God. Come on, right, everybody? And uh, maybe God's will for us is that he wants us to learn how to navigate and learn how to make godly, spiritually mature decisions. I said it in the beginning of this series. I think it's worth saying again. God is more into our character forming than he is into our circumstance shaping. It's not so much the circumstance that he wants to always deliver us from. It's he wants to know the character that is forming through the circumstance that we're in. And that is way more important to God than the circumstance. Because how many know circumstances are temporary, right? Yeah, some of them are longer than others. <laughs> but, but, but what adventure is there in knowing everything? We can't handle all of God's will at one time. And what adventure is there in that? Dr. Seuss recently got a lot of bad press, so I'm going I'm I'm to give some props to Dr. Seuss. Because Dr. Seuss talks about adventure. Come on. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. Oh, the places you will go. Except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. Oh, the places you will go, right? That's how God, God wants to take us places. 
He wants us to experience things. I think God gets excited when we will step out in faith and say, oh, the places this might take me, right? I think, I think that excites God because anytime faith is being used, it gets the attention of God. It, it, he says he rewards those who walk in faith. You know, one of the things I've discovered is when God starts stirring your heart, how many here know it, 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 at least you have a sense of what that means when God's stirring your heart about anything. Have you ever noticed that when God starts stirring your heart, He's really stirring you into action? Let me say it this way and see if you agree. I have never had God stir my heart, get my attention, wake me up at night, start dropping things in my heart, and say, now just stay right there. No, He stirs my heart and says, oh, the places you will go. He, he never starts getting my attention. And, and like, whoever you're sitting by, just nudge who you're sitting by. Just nudge them. Isn't that awkward? Like, you, you nudge them and then they act like they didn't mean to, right? If somebody nudges you, you get the attention of that person. Here's what I've found. God never nudges you and say, hey, I just wanted to get your attention. Remain in your comfort zone. God doesn't do that. But he opens doors and he asks us to have the faith to follow him. I think before Dr. Seuss said, oh, the places you will go, I think Abraham might have first penned, oh, the places you will go. Abraham was doing great, and, and, and God spoke to him. And God, you, can, you can read this later in Genesis 12, but God spoke to him and said, I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to leave your father's house, and I want you to head towards a region. God didn't even tell him where he wanted him to go. He just said, go that way. And as you get closer, then I'll tell you, I'll hone it in. See, a lot of us want the whole answer before we take the first step. But God says, once you take the first step, then I'll show you the next step. Then I'll show you the next step. Genesis chapter number 12, verse number 1 says it this way. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. I want you to remember something. I want you to remember this little thing, your father's household. Because I'm going to end tonight with that thought leave your father's household there was a reason that he had to leave his father's household see his father had the opportunity to be the father of our faith but his father got trapped and oh the places he didn't go Mm. And then, and then, so I want you to think of that, and then I want you to go because Hebrews then records and brags in hindsight of Abraham. In fact, in fact, it says later about Abraham, it says it was credited to him because he believed. Come on, man! I, I, it's cre- anybody remember school days? I'll take credit on anything I can get credit on, right? If you give me another point for at least attempting, but the Bible says it was credited to him because he believed. He was trying to hear the voice of God. That's why if we're trying to be in God's will and we mess up, I still think it's credited to us. Hebrews 11 says it this way. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. Can you keep serving him? Can you keep trusting him when you can't trace him? 
Right, everybody? So last week I started this list and I said, okay, I'm going to try to give you seven and I got to two and a half. That means we're going to blast five out today. You guys ready for it? Okay. Uh, you came. A lot of other people didn't, so you, the doors are locked. You can't get out until I say, all right? So, uh, so last week, here's what we did. Last week we talked about, okay, let's talk about some real tangible ways we can hear the voice of God and know the will of God. The first one was the Bible. And uh, this one's the only one that, in my opinion, is in order. So everything else that I'm going to say has to be processed through the Bible. I've had people come to me and say, God told me. And when they get done telling me what God told them, I said, no, God didn't tell you that. Because first of all, that contradicts what the Bible has already said. So the Bible is first, right, everybody? Okay, so the Bible is first. And then, now some of these seem like, really? Number two, our desires. I talked on this last week, our desires. The Bible says if we delight, Psalm says if we delight in Him, He will give us the desires of our heart. He will place the desires in us. Um, All of us have kind of desires, things we're interested in, things we're not interested in. When we're not serving God, those desires, when passion has nowhere to land, it perverts. Okay, so our desires, if they're not sanctified, they become perverted or selfish. Hello, everybody, right? But if the delight is right, the desire can be better trusted. If we're delighting in God, let me say this again. If the the delight is right, if I'm delighting in Him, He will give me the desire, then the desires can be trusted. Number three last week we talked about was the doors, and I only got a little ways into this, was that God has the ability, in fact, in the book of Revelations that we're getting ready to go into, he specifically speaks to one church, and he says, You've, I, I can open doors and I can close doors. And the doors I open, no man can shut, and the doors I shut, no man can open, right? But how many of you know making decisions is tough because every open door doesn't mean it's the right door? Right, everybody? Anybody in here old enough to remember the old Let's Make a Deal show? Huh? Have you ever felt like you're on the set of Let's Make a Deal? It's like, okay, I have this wonderful job opportunity, and I could choose door number one, or I could choose door number two. And if I choose door number one, I'm going to be a millionaire. Oh, that's another game show. All right, I'll have a million dollars. But if I choose the wrong door, behind door number two is a pig, you know? And you don't know until you choose, right? And so sometimes life feels like, man, I'm on the stage of, man, what door do I choose? Both of them look good. Both of them seem good because none of us are purposely going to go out and do something rebellious. Well, making the right decisions requires intimacy with God and knowing God. Watch this, not only knowing God's voice, but knowing yourself. Knowing yourself. In other words, do I make impulsive decisions? Am I too slow at making decisions? Have I made decisions in the past without enough counsel? So knowing God and knowing yourself. I want to give you these five real quick. These are five subpoints under the doors. How do I know the door that's open could be a door from God? Number one, is the Holy Spirit leading me? And, and I hesitated to put this one here because it needs really a lot of explanation. But, but is the voice of God leading me? If you haven't become accustomed to the voice of God, if you're not putting truth in you, then the Holy Spirit doesn't have anything to work with in you. 
John chapter number 14 says that he will lead us into all truth. That's true. But you need to have some truth in there that he can work with. You you need to have some things in there that he can remind you. Oh, yeah, the word of God says this. Oh, yeah. And this bears witness. So we need the leading of the Holy Spirit. Number two, uh, here's another one. Uh, Do I have peace? Now, I don't want you to mistake peace with your life is turned upside down. How many know your life could be turned upside down? Life can be chaotic, but you can still have peace. Let me say it another way. How many know you, you cannot have any of the answers, but you can still have peace? All right? When I say have peace, that doesn't mean we have all the answers. And it doesn't mean that life's not all crazy. Come on, 2020. Does anybody's life get crazy in 2020 at all? Right? But that doesn't mean we don't have peace. Colossians chapter 3 says this. He says, let the peace of God rule your heart. Let that be the ruler, not the worry, not the fear, not the, okay? Number three, here's the third way we might know if a door is God's door or not. Have I sought counsel about it? There's hardly a series that goes by that I don't sneak this point in here. Because we got to do life together. We need friends. We need friends that see and help us with our blind spots. Anybody here have blind spots besides me? Right? We need friends to help us see those things. Proverbs 15, 22 says this, Plans fail for the lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Number four, the fourth way we can discern if it's God's door or not is, is it bigger than me? Listen, if this is just something you came up with on your own and you know you can do it, I mean, no, that's your dream. That's not God's dream. Because usually God takes you and calls you to something that is bigger than you. You know why? Because big dreams honor God. You know why? Because big dreams make us fall on our knees and say, oh God, if you don't come through, I'm in big trouble this time, right? So, so faith is the willingness to dream big and step out and be willing to look foolish if it all falls apart. I'll get to that one later. Nobody wants to amen that because nobody wants to look foolish. All right, so number five, the fifth way we might know is have I been released from the previous thing? Now, this one really needs some time too, but do I feel a release from this job before I'm saying yes to this job? And if I am, do I say goodbye and close this chapter this job, this career, this position with integrity? And do I, am I feeling a release from that before I'm saying a yes to that? Uh, hmm. <laughs> I remember when I left my first church, I, I, I started feeling a release. I didn't know what it was. I didn't have anybody mentoring me through this. And it was like my passion had died. I'd lost my revelation. I'd get up and preach, and it just didn't feel like the same zeal. I'd go away, do a prayer retreat, get alone with God, get some counsel, and, and just try. And I'd come back, and for two, three weeks, oh, yeah, I'm on fire again. And it was just like the passion. And, and what God was doing was releasing me. I couldn't get new vision. I couldn't get new ideas. My creativity was dead. But when I started thinking about the possibility of something else, that excited me. And so I had to go back to God and say, God, what is this? Is this my own emotions, or are you releasing me from one thing? I, well, and here's, a, here, here's something, else. let me just throw this in here. When God releases you, usually there's this in-between time that's tough. Because you're released, whether you physically left something or not, but you feel a release, but you don't know what the new door is, and in between is what I call no man's land. And you're struggling. Has anybody ever been here? 
You're struggling because, God, what's wrong? How come? I can't seem to. I don't even want to get out of bed. He's releasing you from one thing. He hasn't opened the door to the new thing, and in between is no man's land. It's me and Patty down in Everett before we planted Radius. We had been released from one thing. We didn't know what Radius was going to look like, and we'd sit in that coffee shop every morning at 7 in the morning before anybody got there. We'd cry, oh God, what have we done with our lives? It's no man's land, everybody, and it's an uncomfortable place. But those are, these are just some, you can take a picture of that, these are just some of the ways that we might consider, is God opening the door, or am I pushing the door open? And just because the door is closed doesn't mean it's closed forever. God might open that door again. Don't make the mistake of putting a period where God put a comma, right? It might be closed right now. It, it, it's a timing thing. It might be the right thing, but it's in the wrong season, right? And, and, and so, anyway, um, sometimes it's just no, not yet. And so, just to finalize that point, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 2.12, Now, when I went to Tros to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. God will make a way where there seems like there's no way. Okay? So doors is number three. Number four, uh, I believe the fourth way, these, some of these are very personal to me, and this is not an exhaustive list, but the fourth way I believe that we can hear from God is through dreams. And, and I don't necessarily, when I say dreams, how many understand, I'm not talking about when you go to sleep and you're dreaming. When I go to sleep and I dream, I can tell you right now, those dreams are not from God. I don't know what your dreams look like at nighttime, but I got some dreams at nighttime that are weird stuff. Anybody else? I'm talking about the dreams you dream in the middle of the day, everybody, okay? I'm glad to know I'm in perfect, good company because I start worrying about some of my dreams. Like, God, what is up with that? You know, so uh, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about when you start letting your imagination out of the box. When you start, stop letting your imagination be limited by your abilities, by your checkbook, by your experiences. And you just let your imagination... I like to ask people this question, well, what would you do if money wasn't an issue? And then all of a sudden there's all kinds of answers. This is, this is dreams. When I was a kid, I imagined having what I had every weekend that I'd go to. Rich and Winita's house. Some of you have heard me talk about Rich and Winita. My mom was a barmaid. Was, uh, I didn't see my mom a lot between going to school and her working. And, and, um, and so every Friday, Winita would take me home from school. She was a school teacher. And I'd go to Rich and Winita's house, who were on fire for God. And, I, and, and Friday nights, they would take me to the family fun night at church. And Saturday we had hang out, and they had just got remarried to each other, and both of them had two kids from a previous marriage, so it was their four kids and me and my sister, and bunk beds galore. And they'd bring me home as if they didn't have enough to worry about. And every night we were there, Friday night and Saturday night, Rich would come in. He'd come in with his guitar, and he'd sing to all of us kids some gospel songs, some little fun songs. Want me to sing some to you? <laughs> Somebody said, sure, no, you really don't. Okay, and, uh, and he would bring in the book Pilgrim's Progress. Anybody ever read that book? And he'd read that, man, my imagination would go wild. 
And he tells the story now to me as I became an adult. He said, Ken, you would always get up after the other kids went to sleep and ask me to read more of the Bible to you. And I'd get up and he'd read to me. And I, I remember the feelings that I had laid in that bunk bed. I didn't have it Monday through Thursday. But that night, every Friday night and every Saturday, and then we'd go to church Sunday morning, and Sunday night my mom would come get me. Man, the, the security I felt. The love that I felt. That's what I wanted. And then I got married and had my own kids, and I was scared spitless, everybody, because I didn't know how to be a dad, and I didn't know how to be a husband. And I didn't have any models, and I didn't have any examples, and I didn't know what to do. I knew I wanted it, but I didn't know how to do it. Can anybody relate? You know you want something, but you're not sure how to do something because all you've ever seen is this way. All you know is this way isn't the right way. Would somebody please show me the right way? And when I started to have my own kids, and my two kids were born, I, I, all I could do, it was my dream. It was just a picture. God, I don't know how to be a dad but I want the picture of what I had on that Friday night and that Saturday night. And that's how I started. I, I didn't know what else to do. In fact, before they were even born, I'm reading Bible stories to Patty's belly. You know, I mean, I'm, and, and I'm trying to sing. And, and, and notice neither one of them came out as musicians, so that tells you a lot, all right? But, but I dreamed of the security. I dreamed of the love. I dreamed of the closeness that I would feel those nights before bed. It's, that's where your dreams can come. I, I, I don't know how to have it, but I know how to dream it. Come on, everybody. You don't have to know how to have it, but can you dream it? Can you just imagine it? Can you just start to begin to daydream about it? What, what, what are the things you're hoping for? What are the things that you're longing for? What are the things that you laugh about? What are the things that, man, if money wasn't an issue, this would be it. Dreams, if you look at dreams all through Scripture, change people's lives. Dreams change Jacob's life. Dreams that Joseph interpreted changed his life. Dreams warned Joseph and Mary that baby Jesus was going to be under attack. Dreams are an incredible part of our lives. Dreams take us past reality. Dreams take us past our current possibilities and dreams go over all of that stuff and say here's what could be possible six years ago we just started in that coffee shop in no man's land we just started dreaming about well what if we did a church that was not real super churchy what if we did church in a way dreams allow you uh, dreams allow your imagination to get bigger than your abilities you know what i can do in my dreams i can fly in my dreams because dreams are supposed to take you beyond your natural abilities. Ah, oh, come on. Going after God's dream isn't always even about accomplishing it, everybody. Some of us are afraid to dream because, oh, what if I don't do it? What if I don't get there? Dreams are not always about accomplishing the dream. Dreams are about who you become in the process of pursuing the dream that is in your heart. And what if you dream, I know this is cliche, but what if you dream big enough, it doesn't have to be possible, shoot for the moon and maybe you'll land in the stars. Just dream a little big. Dream bigger than where you came from. Get around people that help you dream. Come on, is anybody here in that? Hey, what's going on, Radius Church? I just want to interrupt this message here real quick and just let you know about a couple upcoming important things. Uh, next Sunday at 5 p.m., we are doing a worship night. 
And this is something that we do usually every quarter, Sunday evenings, and it's just a time of, of prayer and worship and communion. And so I encourage you guys to come on out to that. It's gonna be great. Uh, again, that is next Sunday at 5 p.m. Also, as I'm sure you're aware, this is the final part of the Still Waiting series. So next Sunday, or next weekend, Saturday and Sunday, Pastor Ken is gonna be starting a brand new series called Seven Churches where he talks about the seven churches in the book of Revelation, uh, chapters two and three. And so I think that there is just a lot of uh, wisdom and principles to pull out of uh, sort of the, um, just some of the words of, of, of John as he talks about the, the seven churches of Revelation and just the corrections and just some of the wisdom. And I think that there's something there for us that we can learn from as well. So seven churches is starting next week. And that is all I have for you right now. Let's get back to the message. All right, I, I got to hurry up once again. Number five, number five, I think one of the ways that we hear from God is through the people in our lives which then comes with an asterisk. It means we got to have the right people in our lives. We have to have people in our lives that know God. Come on now, right? People in our lives. Um, Mark, I do my best to sneak this in here every series because we got to do life together. We need people. Come on, has anybody ever needed someone to help you discern what God is saying? Has anybody needed somebody in your life to remind you where you're gifted and maybe where you're not? Has, any, have you, has anybody here ever needed somebody just to partner up with them in prayer because you feel God is doing something in your life? we got to have people in our life. That's what this whole gathering together is about. And I'm telling you, the devil has attacked gatherings. He's been attacking it. He's attacked it hard in COVID. And I know you're watching online, and I thank God that you're watching online, but there's going to come a time you need to be back in here with people that are celebrating the same God. That hand clap was from everybody that's here, all right? On February the 20th, 1962, some of you will remember this, John Glenn, he became the first American to orbit the earth. And, and he got all the recognition. But, but has anybody seen the movie Hidden Figures? Anybody seen Great movie because behind the scene was Katherine Johnson who was able to do the mathematical equations of figuring out how to uh, re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere. Whoa, I don't get it, all that kind of stuff. But John Glenn was successful because he had some hidden figures. He had some people behind the scenes. He had some people, come on, if I could say it this way, if you're successful, it's because somebody has gone before you, because you're standing on someone's shoulders, because someone is praying for you, because you've got the right Katherine Johnsons around you in your life. You know, I think about that story just real quick. If John Glenn, if she hadn't have done that, John Glenn might not have been the first one. He might not have gone to the moon, and maybe the Soviets would have won the space race, and maybe then they would have won the Cold War, and then maybe the whole circumstance would be a whole lot different. All I'm trying to say is people are important. People are important in our life. C.S. Lewis, perhaps one of the most brilliant Christian minds ever, he said this, he went to church all the time, and in this interview I recently read about him, he said, yeah, I go to church, and he said, I really, I go to church, and, and they don't really play my style of music. I get it, C.S. Lewis, people tell me that all the time. 
I like radios, but I don't know about that music. Well, too bad, all right? That's what we're playing. And, and, and I don't know if I like the music, and, 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 and I'm not even sure if I like the preaching. Now, if you start messing with my preaching, I'm going to poke you in the nose, all right, everybody? All right? He, he, said, he said, I'm not even really sure. Could you imagine being the preacher where C.S. Lewis is sitting? It's like, forget it. Just come on up, right? Talk about intimidating. C.S. Lewis said, it's not that I even like all the preaching or even agree with all the preaching, but he didn't, and C.S. Lewis, if you know anything about him, he's kind of an introvert. The thing you don't know about me is I'm really, by nature, an introvert. Oh, yeah, see? Yeah, I am. See, the problem is most of you know Ken Hubbard from being on the stage. But you don't know that really I'm more comfortable. You just get me alone. That's where I refuel. And so I end up offending people because they see this crazy guy on the stage and they think, I bet he's the life of the party. I'm not. <laughs> ask Patty. I'm boring, okay? You could ask her. She ain't here tonight. But anyway, you can ask her sometime. And he said, I, 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 don't, it's, it's that I don't even necessarily like being around people. But C.S. Lewis said, I don't want to fall into solitary conceit. What a word. He, he believed that we were not meant to live alone. Friends, we have to cultivate relationships. Think about this. You might be one relationship away from the brightest idea you've ever had. You might be one partnered up prayer away from the greatest breakthrough as iron sharpens iron. Hey, come on, would you at least, amen, has anybody ever, have you ever had anybody stretch you? Have you ever had anybody that humbles you in a good kind of way? People that keep us praying, people that draw us out, people that draw the potential, people that talk us into going places we ought to go, people that wake us up and say, get your butt to church, right? All those kind of people in our our lives. Number six. The sixth thing. I know I'm changing the order a little. Thanks for following me. Number six is the different ways we hear from God. This one was hard for me to write about. Promptings. How many kind of have a feeling they know what I mean when I say promptings? Right? How many husbands your wife has prompted you before? Let me see. Some. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's not so subtle, right? <laughs> I love that. Uh, a prompting. <laughs> I, I heard that. A prompting. A prompting. The best way I know how to describe it in our language without trying to go all Greek and stuff on you, it, it, it's a nudge. It, it, it's a nudge. It, it, it's, it, it, it's the way I'd say it, it's an internal stirring. Have you ever experienced it? Um, last week I ended the message with, um, in, in, in October of 2006, I came out to Mount Vernon, didn't know there was a Mount Vernon, to interview with some people that wanted me to really at first consult about a building they were going to build and then ask me to be their pastor, and I said, no, thank you very much, God bless you, and I left. And five months later, February of 2007, I'm sitting at my pastor's church, and he's talking about a story of when God released him from his first church. And every comparison he made to why he didn't want to leave were thank the exact things of what I had just said to God, why I didn't go five months earlier. In that moment, now last week you heard the rest of the story, but in between there, there was this prompting. It was really awkward, because here's why it was awkward. I was sitting on a row 
with, uh, I think, seven of my elders and four of my staff members. And God's prompted me, you're getting ready to leave your church. I'm like looking at like, do they know? (laughs) I was feeling a prompting. For those of you that didn't hear the story, after saying no five months earlier, I'm in a building of 8,000 pastors, and I feel God prompting me, using my pastor to confirm. I get up to text my wife. I said, I think God's releasing us from our current place of ministry. As I walked out the door of a campus with 8,000 people, I walked face-to-face, no kidding, this close to the person that I had said no to five months earlier. And you know what I said? Hey, how's things going with your new pastor? Because I thought they had got a new pastor. And I didn't tell you this part of the story. His wife spoke up and said, no, we're still waiting on you. And that moment, you want to talk about a prompting? There you go, not so subtle. Right? Listen, friends, long for the promptings. It's It's important. Remember when, remember when Mary went to see Elizabeth and the Bible says when Mary got to Elizabeth's house, the baby leapt inside of her? You, you need to be around people. You desperately need to go to a church where it causes something to leap on the inside of you. If something is not leaping in you, if there's no prompting, there's a problem. That'll preach. Somebody needs to write that down. Where there is no prompting, there's a problem. And before you think the problem's always the church, the problem could be you. Where there's no prompting, where the baby, where things aren't leaping in us, where dreams aren't coming to life, where dead things, where hopes, where joys, where direction, where where the voice of God isn't coming, at least there's not a prompting there, then there's a problem. How can I sit in church? How can I read His Word? How can I pray week after month after year after year? And there's never a prompting. Are you paying attention to the promptings? And I think God wants to give us promptings because it's our way. It's to teach us how to listen to the still small voice so that he doesn't have to mandate, go to Nineveh. Maybe there was a prompting before go to Nineveh came. Maybe it's not always about I want to tell you and direct you and command you what to do. Maybe I want the kind of relationship that is intimate enough that you can hear the whisper that I speak. The prompting, the nudge. Come on now. Right? The Holy Spirit, so he doesn't have to mandate. Let let me tell you a personal story. I got six minutes, but you don't care because of the illustration I gave earlier. We just have church as long as we want. So watch this. (laughs) So we we came back to Mount Vernon, and my wife and I, we bought this little condo in Mount Vernon, about 600 square feet. How many know that's small? And um, but we said, This is great, Lord. We love it. And we are happy to be back. We are happy to have a roof over our head, all of that. One Saturday morning, I told my wife, I said, hey, there's this modular home for sale over on Big Lake. I think we ought to go look at it. I didn't have two pennies to rub together. We had spent everything we had left on this little condo. And Patty said, she said, well, what are we going to do that for? All I could know, I, I just felt a prompting. I said, I don't know, let's just go look. So we drove over there, we looked at it, and it just wasn't going to work because I thought, man, we could build a house while we live in this and we'll tear it down and blah, 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 and it wouldn't work. And, and, and the bank basically laughed at us. So when we got done, I said, I feel prompted to eat a hamburger and fries. So we went across to Big Lake Bar and Grill. It doesn't all have to be spiritual, everybody. We were sitting there in Big Lake Bar and Grill and talking to a realtor and saying, man, I just thought, you know, it'd be cool to be out here. 
and there's no properties left back out here. She said, just right down the road, there's these two lots that have been there for years. They're overgrown, 12 foot of blackberries on them. And I felt a prompting. It wasn't for sale. I just felt right there. I just felt a little nudge. So I'm going to find who owns that, and I'm going to call them. We found who owned it. I called them up. I said, hey, man, I just, this is crazy. I just thought I'd throw this out there. Are you interested in selling those lots? And the guy said, you know, yesterday the answer would have been no. But today the answer is yes. We're going through a crisis, and we desperately need to make some changes immediately. They gave me a deal that we couldn't refuse. Uh, I told my son, I said, you got to buy one lot or you're not going to make it to heaven. So he did that. <laughs> you got to use the leverage you got. <laughs> and then I felt prompted to go talk to the bank. I said, God, no bank. I, the church had just barely been open for a few months. I said, I, I don't even have a job to point to. Or I, have, I, I showed up to a locally owned bank and I said, here's my plan. I said, I got no money. <laughs> I said, but I don't have any bills. I said, I got a dream, and I got a plan, and I just desperately need somebody to work with me. That banker said, you're the reason we do local banking. We're going to do that for you. To this day, that bank will say, the Hubbards and Radius Church, they're one of our success stories. It's a prompting. You've got to follow. What are you missing out on? Because there's too much white noise going on. And you can't even hear the promptings, everybody. Okay, I got one more. Are you ready for the last one? This is going to end the series. Here it is, the seventh one. You're not going to like the seventh one. Pain. Sometimes God speaks to us and He leads us through tears. I've said this before jokingly, but it's really true because I don't know where we got the idea that when God speaks to us, it's all going to be pretty. Like, like He's sending down a little naked angel on a cloud playing a harp. Thou shalt go to Nineveh. God, I don't know about you guys. Maybe you're more spiritual than me. God's never spoke to me like that. God always says, hey, stupid, wake up. Now, he probably doesn't call you stupid, but some are more thick than others. How many know what I'm saying, right? It's like, come on, dude, wake up. And, uh, and most of the time in life, it's through the discomfort, the pain, that God begins to speak to my life. The frustrations, when I start saying, God, why am I frustrated? Why am I, what's going on? It's like God's wanting to do, and usually it's through the pain. And do you know that pain can be a blessing in our life? Without pain, we would continue to do the same thing, and it would kill us. Without pain, did you know pain is a great coach? Hey, hey, married folks, pain is a great marriage counselor. You get hit with a rolling pin and up, you'll straighten up. <laughs> pain reveals where we need to be healed. Uh oh, that's a broken spot. I need to be healed there. Why do I always get mad every time she, oh, I need to be healed there? Mm -hmm. Why do I run people off the highway every time they, oh, I need to be healed there? <laughs> Right, right? We're, we're, pain shows us where we need to grow. You've heard me say this. I'm closing up. If we don't get it through revelation, God loves us too much to leave us where we're at. He might put us in a situation. 
See, God would love it if we would show up to the classroom called church and the preacher would preach something, we'd open our Bible and the Holy Spirit would give us something and we'd get it through Revelation. Everything I've needed to learn, I wish I could have got through Revelation, but I didn't. Anybody join me? And so because God wants to change me, I don't always get it through Revelation, so sometimes He puts me in a situation. Remember the disciples, they didn't understand the feeding of the multitude, so He told them, get in the boat, and when they got in the boat, they headed right into a storm. They didn't get it through the revelation of the miracle, so he put them in a situation of a storm. And sometimes God will lead us through the pain of our life. Okay, I told you I'd close where I opened. The Bible said God told Abraham to leave the house of his father. If you've been in church any length of time, you know that we will say things like, um, Abraham is the father of our faith. Have you heard that term? And things like, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? I find it interesting that he's the God of Jacob, not Israel, because Jacob's name was changed to Israel. But it just reminds me that he's the God of the bad parts of us, too. And, and so it says, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But do you know the story could have been? Anybody go to children's church when you were little, grew up singing the song, Father Abraham? Anybody remember that song? Father Abraham. Some of you are missing out. But you know that it wasn't God's original intention for Abraham to be the father of our faith. It was Abraham's father that should have been the father of our faith. Abraham's father's name was Terah. But Terah got hung up in his pain. And his pain caused him to quit obeying God. And so God had to reach to the next generation and pull Abraham up. And Abraham was willing to leave the place of his father. Oh, man, I need to make a whole message out of this. Let me close with this story, though. Genesis chapter number 11. Check this out. This is the account of Terah, Abraham's father. This is the account of Terah, his family line. Check this out. Terah became the father of Abram. Father Abraham, later. Nahor and Haran. Haran. Notice the name Haran. I would go into what these names mean, but this sermon isn't about that. And Haran became the father of Lot. Anybody remember Lot? Haran's the father of Lot. Okay. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died. Okay, hold, hold on. So Abraham had one son. Abraham, he had some other sons, but he had a son named Haran. And Haran died. So they're on their journey, leaving their land, going to the promised land, going to the promised land of Canaan. And while they're on the journey, Haran, one of Terah's sons, dies. Got the picture? How many of you would know that's painful stuff? Watch this, though. Hold on. Watch this. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Check this out. Go a little further. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, the one that died, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur the Chaldeans to go to Canaan, the promised land, the land of blessing, the land of victory. But, oh, everything's going to turn on the but. Watch this. But when they came to Haran, what happened? They settled there. Is this crazy stuff? You can't make it up. He's on his way to the land of blessing. He's on his way to the place that God has more for them. His son Haran dies. 
They come to a city that has the same name as the son that died. And he can't move beyond geographically the pain that is internally. And so Terah, he finishes his days living in the place of loss, living in the place of pain. Therefore, we have the story today, Father Abraham had many sons, but it could have been Father Terah had many sons, but he got stuck in his pain. I challenge you as I close this service and as I close this series, please, I beg you, don't let the pains stop you in life. Let the pains traject you in life and catapult you in life and let God use the pain to do something greater in your life. Don't get caught. Go on to Canaan. Come on and give the Lord a good hand clap. Amen. I need to make a whole series out of that right there. That is a good one. Did you get anything out of the series? Please lie to me and say yes, all right? Would you stand with me all over this place? We're going to close in prayer.